Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. But right before our passage begins, Mark, Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, opens up his gospel with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, baptizing people, and proclaiming that one greater than himself is coming and will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus enters the scene, and he goes to John in the wilderness and asks John to baptize him. And as Jesus is being baptized, the heavens are torn open, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and you hear God the Father saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And immediately after Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days. And during that time, Satan approaches Jesus and tempts him in, in the desert. But Jesus overcomes Satan. He overcomes that temptation. And when Jesus returns from out of, out of the wilderness, he goes into Galilee. And as he's going through Galilee, he is preaching and teaching about the good news of God, that the kingdom of God is near. And as he's going around Galilee proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near, he calls disciples, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to follow him as his disciples and become fishers of men. And as Jesus is going around Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God is near, he's also teaching in the synagogues with authority. He's healing people. He's casting out evil spirits. He's cleansing people and calling disciples. And as he's doing this, word gets out in Galilee. This Jesus guy is a little bit more than just your ordinary healer or teacher or exorcist. There's something special about him. So word has gotten out that Jesus is a powerful teacher who can heal and cast out spirits. And as he's traveling throughout the region of Galilee, a leper approaches him. Church, hear the word of the Lord. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man, saying, I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people came to him from everywhere. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church, will you pray with me? Almighty God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. During this time in history, leprosy was a catch-all term for a variety of skin ailments and diseases and blemishes. Now, the leper that approaches Jesus very well may have been suffering from leprosy, from leprosy proper, which today we call Hansen's disease. 
However, he may not have actually had leprosy as we think of it today. It could have been another skin ailment or disease that had afflicted him, making him unclean. But regardless of what skin condition this man actually had, he had been treated as a leper by society. We don't know how long he had been isolated from society, and we don't know the degree of his suffering physically, mentally, or spiritually. But this man was desperate, desperate enough to approach Jesus and risk breaking some serious laws in the Old Testament. For the purpose of this sermon, I will go ahead and continue using the word leprosy because that's what the gospel writer uses. But what does this mean? What does it mean to have leprosy? The Jewish purity laws recorded in Leviticus 13 through 14 were very detailed and very strict. And in these passages, there's a long list of what the Israelite priest should look for and determine, is this skin condition okay for this person to remain in society? Or is it a defiling and unclean skin condition which has some serious repercussions? So what happened to someone if they had an unclean or or defiling skin disease? Several things. They had to isolate from society for a certain period of time. They had to keep their hair unkept. They had to tear their clothes. They had to cover the lower part of their face. And when someone approached them, they would have to shout, unclean, unclean, as a warning to anyone who approached them. Because at this time, leprosy wasn't just a disease or an unclean thing. It was also thought of people who had leprosy were like corpses. And anyone who touched them became defiled. This was very serious. And as long as you were unclean and had this skin disease, you had to isolate from society. You had to live apart from them, you had to isolate until you were cleansed and examined by a priest, offered up the correct sacrifices, and were then declared clean. Now this might seem extreme, but consider what's been going on the past few years. When COVID started, we had no idea what was gonna happen. We had no idea exactly how that how that disease worked. So there were a lot of uncertainties and we were doing the best we could to make the right choices, make the right laws, to keep people safe. And so what did we do? Those who had COVID or those who had been in contact with someone who had COVID had to isolate for a certain period of time. For lack of a better term, they were unclean. They had to isolate. You didn't want to go near them, but we still offered care to them. Everyone wore masks, we sanitized everything, we kept six feet apart, we got vaccinated. And so we didn't necessarily use the term unclean and clean, but there were people who were unclean and clean. So my illustration is incredibly imperfect because the laws and regulations that we use to deal with COVID were created by men. However, I hope that illustration helps you understand a little bit of what the Israelite society was dealing with when they had clean things and unclean things with these skin diseases and other things because this applied to a lot of other things as well. But I'd really like to emphasize the fact that the purity laws of the Israelites 
were given to them by God. So the example of COVID that I used is imperfect because the rules that we made were created by people. But the purity laws that we find in the Old Testament were given to them by God himself. So I hope this helps you better understand the difference between clean and unclean. But let me clarify further. The purity laws found in the Old Testament are not and were not bad because they were given by God himself to the Israelites to follow. And the intent of the purity laws was to make Israel holy, as God is holy. All the laws and regulations that God set out in the Old Testament were designed to set Israel apart from the other nations because Israel was called to be holy as God is holy. Furthermore, we as Christians have not moved away from this language of purity, of clean and unclean. Instead, we typically talk about purity and cleanliness in terms of holiness. Because just as God called Israel to be a holy and set-apart people, God also calls the church to be a holy and set-apart community because God himself is holy and this is his church. So this leper approaches Jesus. This leper who approaches Jesus is not just suffering physically. He's also suffering because he's unclean and is isolated from society. Again, we don't know how long or the depth of his suffering but he's desperate enough to break the law to attempt to get near Jesus and beg for cleansing. Now the way in which Jesus, the way in which this leper approaches Jesus, it's not demanding. He doesn't approach Jesus and say, make me clean, I want to be clean. Instead, this leper approaches Jesus with the humble and holy, a humble boldness. He approaches Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. This man has a great amount of faith, but in doing so, in approaching Christ with this, in approaching Jesus with this holy boldness and humility, he also recognizes that Jesus may not answer his request in the way that the leper is asking, but he still approaches. But notice the words that the leper uses. When you go back and look at the Greek text, the word that is used is katharizo. This root word, when used in context of Mark 40, doesn't mean healing. Instead, it means cleansing. It means to heal a person of a disease that makes one ceremonially unclean. So when the leper approaches Jesus and asks to be cleansed, He's not asking primarily for physical healing. He's asking for ceremonial cleansing because if this man is ceremonial, ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed, then he can be reintegrated into Jewish society and rejoin the worshiping community of God. He can be restored to the people of God. So the leper approaches Jesus and asks for healing and Jesus doesn't recoil. He doesn't recoil, he doesn't stand six feet back, he doesn't say, hold on, don't touch me, you're unclean. He stays put. The leper approaches and begs. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he touches the man. He touches this unclean, corpse-like man. He touches him and says, I am willing, be clean. Again, notice the word that Jesus uses. The Greek word that is used again is from the root word katharizo. 
Jesus wills and makes this man ceremonially clean, and the leprosy disappears. Yes, physical healing occurs. The leprosy is no longer on this man's body, but more importantly, this man is ceremonially clean so he can re-enter Jewish society. By willing and speaking, Jesus cleanses the man. Jesus doesn't need to use incantations or potions or salves or balms or any of that. He touches, he wills, and he speaks, and the man is made clean. The holiness of Christ is greater than the defilement of the man. By all means, this unclean disease, by touching him, Jesus should have been made unclean and defiled, but he isn't because the holiness of Christ is greater than the defilement. Jesus reaches out and he touches and he makes him clean. As a result, the man can now re-enter society and after healing the man, Jesus, Jesus instructs the man not to tell anyone, but to go and show himself to the priest to be examined and offer up the sacrifices that Moses commands in the Old Testament, in Leviticus. Keep that in mind as we move forward, but we're gonna jump back for a minute. When the man, when the leper approaches Jesus, Mark writes that Jesus was indignant. Indignant meaning angered by something unjust. Now why would Jesus be filled with indignation? He can't be angry at the man for approaching because he doesn't recoil from the man. He reaches out, touches him, and cleanses him willingly. He can't be angry at the man. Jesus also can't be angry or upset with the purity laws because right after cleansing him, Jesus tells the man to go to the priests, show himself, and offer up the proper sacrifices. Jesus doesn't tell him to break the law of the prophets or the law of Moses or God's law. He tells him to go ahead and fulfill those things. And as we know, scripture interprets scripture. And if we go back and look at Mark 5:17, we know Jesus tells us that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, he came to fulfill it. So why is Jesus indignant? To answer this question, we have to look at the greater narrative of scripture and where this cleansing miracle occurs within the Gospel of Mark. If we go back and look at Genesis 1, as God is creating the heavens and the earth, separating the land from the sea, creating the animals and vegetation, and then humanity, in all of that, God looks, sees, and says, it is good. From the very beginning, God intended for creation and humanity to be good and to be holy. It wasn't until Adam and Eve willingly disobeyed and rebelled against God that the fall occurred. And when that happened, sin, death, disease, brokenness, illness, tribulation, natural disasters, that's when those evil things entered this world. Those things are not holy. But thank God that God, since before he even created creation, God had a plan. God had a plan to restore creation and humanity back to God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God provided a way to redeem creation and to redeem humanity. 
And if we choose to submit to the Lordship of Christ and profess him as our Lord and Savior and daily submit to that Lordship, then we have that assurance and promise that God will cleanse us, God will be faithful to us and make us holy as God is holy. Furthermore, when we get to Mark's gospel and Mark 1 through 39, what is Jesus doing? He's walking around proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. And how does he proclaim the kingdom of God is near? He does that not just by speaking about the kingdom of God and teaching about it. He's also healing people and casting out evil spirits because what, what is the point of miracles? The point of miracles are to point to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. They point to a time in our future when Christ will return and when he returns, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more death, there will be no more illness, there will be no more tribulation, there will be no more natural disasters. None of those things will exist anymore. And we have that promise. When Christ returns in final victory, we can look forward to that time. Miracles and healing and cleansing and casting out of evil spirits, those things point to the coming kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God. So why is Jesus angry? Because when this man approaches him with this defiling, unclean disease, that disease, that defilement, that defilement is contrary to the kingdom of God. It's not right. That's not what God intended when God created. That disease, that defilement, that uncleanliness is a result of the fallen world that we live in. So that's where this indignation is coming from. But when Jesus is met with this, what does he do? He doesn't recoil, he doesn't back up. Instead, he meets the man. He reaches out and he touches him and says, be cleansed, I am willing. And as a result of becoming clean, the man is cleansed and he can return to the worshiping community of God, the Jewish society. But then Jesus does something interesting. He tells the man, not to tell anyone. But just a minute ago, Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God and he's been healing people and casting out demons and teaching with authority. Why on earth would he tell this man not to tell anyone? There are a lot of different theories. Scholars haven't come to an agreement on this yet and one of the theories that's been thrown out there is, well, logistically, if more people know about this man who heals people and cleanses people and casts out demons, it's gonna be much harder for Jesus to move around. But there's another theory that scholars have put forward. And within the context of the gospel, within the context of where this passage occurs in the gospel, I think it actually helps us better understand what's going on in the passage. And that theory is this miracle, this cleansing miracle can't be understood apart from Easter. It can't be understood apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. When Mark is writing in his gospel, the people at that point in the gospel don't yet understand what kind of kingdom Jesus is coming to establish. At this point, the people are still expecting a militaristic Messiah who's going to create an earthly kingdom and restore David's kingdom. So the people in Mark's gospel don't yet know what Jesus is coming to do. 
Mark's audience, his, his original intended audience, and then us today, we know, because we are on the other side of Easter, we are post-Easter people, we know that Christ came to establish a spiritual kingdom. And so Jesus tells this man not to tell anyone yet because people aren't gonna understand what kind of miracle this is. They aren't going to understand the cleansing miracle apart from Easter yet. So he tells them not to tell anyone. But even though the man disobeys and tells people, Christ is still able to do his ministry and fulfill the calling that he came to do. Brothers and sisters, we are Easter people. The kingdom of God is here right now. We profess this in the historic creeds when we say that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And as Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, ruling as our Lord and Savior, as our King, he's not only interceding for us on, at the right hand of God so that we can be cleansed individually, he's also limiting the power of evil and sin and death in the world today because Christ has already triumphed over those things on the cross. He's limiting the powers of evil in the world today, but he's also guiding and protecting the church. And we can have hope in that. But even though we profess that the kingdom of God is here right now today, and we are the kingdom of God, the church is the embodiment of the church, the embodiment of the kingdom of God here on earth today, we also profess that the kingdom of God is yet to come. Remember, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, the kingdom of God is here right now, and we are the embodiment of that. But the fullness of the kingdom of God is coming. And we can look forward to that, and we pray for that, and we believe that when Christ comes in final victory, God will redeem creation, redeem humanity. We will get to be with God forever. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more illness, no more brokenness, no more natural disasters. All of those things will be gone when the fullness of the kingdom of God comes. So right now, Christ is reigning at the right hand of God, ruling over the church, limiting the power of evil in the world today, and also interceding for us individually so that we can be made holy and clean before God because of those things, we as Christians, we as humanity, as humans, can boldly approach the throne of God as the leper boldly and humbly approached Jesus and asked for cleansing. We, so too can we approach the throne of God and ask for that cleansing, ask for God to make us holy and blameless before God, strip us of our sin and make us more like Christ. And Christ promises that those who believe and have faith and profess that he is Lord and submit to that lordship, we can be cleansed from our sin and be made holy. Christ willingly reaches out, touches us, and cleanses us. And he's not defiled by us. He's not just as he wasn't defiled by the leper. Because Christ's holiness is greater than our sin. The cleansing and purifying love of Christ sets us apart from sin and sets us apart for God. So will you let Christ cleanse you today and tomorrow and every day? Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we humbly come before you and ask that you make us clean. If you are willing, God, 
Make us holy and blameless before you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God the Father Almighty. Amen.